You're listening to Outside the Chamber, and I'm your host, Eleanor Sturko, the member of BC's Legislative Assembly for Surrey South, here in beautiful Surrey, British Columbia. There are a ton of challenges we're facing in BC today, from the unbelievably high cost of living to the current healthcare crisis and beyond. British Columbians have a lot to talk about. That's why my team and I have decided to create a podcast that goes beyond the Legislative Chamber and has real discussions about the issues facing our province. All right, thanks again for coming back and joining us on Outside the Chamber. You know, on this episode, we have welcomed back Crystal, Kenzie, and Cindy Zimmer. We had an overwhelming response to our first episode, and I know that there was a lot more that we could have discussed. 30 minutes just wasn't enough time for us to be able to actually talk about some of the really important work that these two sisters are doing, and also to talk more a little bit about their experience actually bringing their concerns forward to the Health Authority and to the Ministry. So for those who are just joining us for the first time, uh, it's a heads up to anyone for whom this subject may be distressing. We're going to be discussing the subject of suicide um, and gaps and challenges that family members face when trying to help their loved one who's in a crisis or suffering from a serious mental illness. Um, suicide in British Columbia is actually one of the top 15 overall causes of death for the province. And among individuals aged 10 to 39, it's actually in the top three causes of death with the vast majority of these people who are succumbing uh, to suicide being, being young men. Uh, surprisingly, actually in 2021, 582 suicides and more than 400 of these were young men. So again, joining me, Crystal, Kenzie, Cindy Zimmer, thanks for coming back and agreeing actually to, to share more of your story. I think it's very generous of you both. Um, and you've been doing so much hard work that I'm actually really proud and happy that you're here so that we can highlight um, the things that you've uncovered and some of the work that you're doing. Thank you very much for having us again. Thank you. It's All right, so I think, you know, I'll just give a little bit of the background um, for people who are just joining us. Your brother, uh, James, who is just 50 years old, um, had been suffering um, for several years from um, mental health issues, uh, stemming from some personal trauma, um, had self-medicated on and off with alcohol, but who had become actually sober um, and was continuing to deal with mental health issues was admitted to the Royal Jubilee Hospital on the island, discharged, and then um, just a very short time later took his own life. Um, so let's start from after your brother's death. Uh, what were your next steps after that? Well, you know, when we got the news, um, you know, we immediately just were overwhelmed with this feeling like we need to do something this is not right something's gone horribly wrong so we kind of just you know when you lose someone um, to suicide this creates a an unimaginable complex grief that you just I never knew it existed um, and and I think that uh, Crystal and I have really been trying to channel um, our our need to hopefully have this not be something that someone experiences uh, and and um, try and use this um, for you know looking into how can we um, have something come from this unfortunate uh, outcome I think you know one of the things actually that 
really struck me when I met both of you this summer um, when we talked about the advocacy that you're doing and your desire to be able to use your brother's story to help inform decision makers, policy makers, people in legislative positions and in healthcare authorities, inform them of what your experience was in order to make a positive change to help others. I think that was really awesome. And you both had mentioned that in your desire to sort of protest what's happening now, you want to stay positive. You didn't want to have that be that angry protesting, you know, um, you wanted to be positive. And I think you, you've really demonstrated that you are, but how are you staying positive and, and what are the steps sort of that you've, you took? Like, so I mean, obviously a tremendous shock, um, a grief that you'd never experienced before. So how did you make the decision then to go from that place of grief into um, advocacy? So how did you start your journey and, and what kind of things did you do first? Well, I think initially the pain was so huge and still is. Um, that we, in a way, almost <laughs> shut down emotionally and wanted answers and wanted to know, like, okay, let's have a coroner's inquest because this is gonna happen to someone else. Let's contact the media, let's contact the politicians, let's make sure that something is done regardless of the fact that we can't bring our brother back so that we can pave a way for things to be changed in a positive way for other people, to protect people when they're in crisis, because clearly it's not happening. Um, <clears throat> so not to say that we feel positive or that we're not in grief, because of course. I mean, this week especially has been a really hard one for me personally. Um, we are just trying to be proactive about that energy rather than going to a dark place. We're trying to put it out there um, as, and, and really, bottom line is, the thing that would have protected our brother would have been connection with his family, connection with people, communication. We've made a point of communicating and connecting with other families that we found out have been going through similar stories. And they, that, that theme is very consistent. That connecting yeah. and being able to communicate on behalf and advocate for their loved one could have saved their life. And so, yeah, that was the, the one of the things that we even spoke about in the last um, episode together is that um, when your brother was released from the hospital, there wasn't any subsequent communication with um, either of you. Mm -hmm. And um, you feel that was very detrimental to the outcome that your mm -hmm. brother had. Mm -hmm. So is this, were you shocked or surprised then when you were able to connect with other families and see how common of a problem this was? Like before what happened to James, were you aware that this type of gap existed? He didn't. I mean, when Cindy took him to the hospital and she was told that he was in involuntary, I yeah, thousand percent thought she'd get a call. Otherwise, we yeah. would have been parked outside the door waiting well, for and, him. And I had even, at that time, before I left that night, I said, I, like, before there's any discharge plan, please, can you call me? And, and James did agree to that at that time. And, and I had always gotten a call in the past. So there was nothing that even made me question that I wouldn't get that call. Um, you know, but then what, what happens is, you know, and this is, this is the thing that I find um, really difficult is, you know, as I'm looking through, there's, you know, the medical records and you see this form 16 
Um, you know, and then, you know, the patient um, needs to identify who they're going to nominate as their, their person to contact. And there's nowhere on that form where it, it, it says, um, you know, for the patient's signature to confirm that they've actually um, declined. declined to, to nominate um, so, someone. You know, so what happened then? So you guys went through, and I know that you've done everything step by step by the book as would be required by anyone. You um, found out what happened with your brother, then you went to the patient quality um, for Island Health to, to get more information and to find out where that, that gap and identify and to see what type of changes you know, could have made a difference potentially um, for your brother in his care. So, so what is this Form 16 and how did you guys find out about it? Well, actually it was, it was through looking through his um, medical records and, you know, I came across it and, you know, it, it looks like he had identified to notify the guardian of trustees. Um, and, and or there was other times where there'd be a doctor's note saying that uh, he declined to fill out that form. But there was nothing on there where it actually requires the patient's signature for that accountability piece to say, yes, in fact, the patient had declined to uh, nominate the, um, you know, the contact. And on other pages in that same medical record, Cindy was nominated as the near relative um, and he did give consent but then apparently he revoked it probably less than 24 hours later and something that we see would be really important to change would be for when a person arrives in suicidal crisis they're asked then if, if they can consent to contacting family get the signature then you can't revoke that while they're still in the crisis. Someone isn't going to change their mental health state in suicidal crisis within 12, 24, even 48 hours of not receiving treatment. So... Yeah, it's like know. a fail-safe, yeah, right? It's like I mean, when consent is a factor uh, in, in a counseling dynamic and the counselor finds out that you have plans to end your life by suicide, they're obligated to break confidentiality. It should be no different in this situation. A doctor or nurse should be allowed to break confidentiality to contact family if it means saving the person's life. And so is that one of the main things you guys are advocates of now, um, would be to, to have more accountability and, and to at least make sure that once a person's been in involuntary care, particularly when they've had, um, like James, um, a clear indication that they may be at risk to themselves, um, make it so that either there's a clear indication that they've withdrawn that consent or that the consent they can't withdraw that is that what do you guys think about that yeah you know i you know i i think about you know how it's it's written up to in the mental health act where it says that you know there needs to be a written notice given to the nominated family member after the patient is discharged well, from, from what I can see, this is going to be way too late. There needs to be a collaborative approach and a connection to that person's support network. It's, to me, this is humanity. Like, there needs to be more humanity within care. When it comes to having connection for that person, I mean, they're already feeling alone and isolated, you know, and, and maybe that's what they need is to feel like they've got that support 
and so um you know yeah i think you know there's going to be people listening to this who are going to say but the privacy of the person mm -hmm. you know and in canada we have um privacy guidelines of the privacy act mm -hmm. and, and 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 mostly you know those are put in place that to govern um, how a government or how institutions within government can share information that they collect about your mm -hmm. personal um, private information, for example, healthcare information. So what would you, either of you say to people who say, well, privacy trumps all, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, there are situations where it is really important, um, especially if the family member is not a safe person for that for that individual who's experiencing crisis. And so we were talking about this recently about what you would do for a person like that. And we feel that there should be mental health advocates or you know, people who can act in place of a family member so that when a person is being discharged, someone's contacted to be there for that person to help them navigate the outpatient services they're being referred to. Instead of just handing them, like our brother was given a card to the crisis line, what good is that when he's also got ropes in his pocket and he has no intention of calling it? Having someone physically there to just hold space for the person, um, you know, so if it's... That's a tremendous idea, actually. And also, if someone has intention to take someone else's life, mm -hmm. do they get confidentiality? Do they get privacy about those harmful acts? There's a big ripple effect. And, and uh, you know, there's, I, I can't quote anything specific, but I know there's been studies on people who have not been successful with their suicide attempts and things that have gone through their mind before when they thought they were going to be successful. And oftentimes it is that they were hoping they weren't gonna die or they're like, oh, wait, um, obviously, we don't know how the people felt who didn't survive, but we do know that there is an element of impulsive. I think that's a great idea, though, that you bring up about, you know, so obviously, yes, it's true that in dealing with collateral information, when dealing with family members who want to be that lifeline, that safety net for people experiencing mental health um, illnesses or, or crises, I mean, we want to make sure there's this element of safety. But I think that you make a good point about the potential of having advocates to act as, um, you know, sort of this outside party in a case where a person needs to have um, that support and help while maintaining an element of safety from those who could potentially exacerbate a, a situation. But I think in the case of, of both of you and, you know, um, in our previous episode, you, talk, you talked about the... Um, kind of support that you had been since 2016, really, including having him in your homes, having him um, interacting with the family to keep him engaged and, and helping him so much, a clear indication that, that you were not a risk to your brother, and in fact, a, a great safety support system. So, you know, what type of, of, of things would you think could be more effective? Yes, the um, accountability, but usually accountability comes into play once something bad's already happened. Mm -hmm. um, what do you guys think is something proactive that we as legislators could be doing more of to ensure families are given that opportunity to help? I think that the, the Mental Health Act should be amended to say that the near relatives should be called prior to discharge, um, and not a letter in the mail, because let's face it, it's gonna take forever, the person's potentially already passed, or if the family member even receives the letter. Um, mm -hmm. 
So what about your opportunities that you took with, like, you know, you guys were very actually um, good at going through all the processes and it's, these can be complicated, like trying to get in with health authorities, all these meetings. Um, and yet I think, I feel that looking at some of the things you've shared with me, you've been largely successful in being able to, to navigate the, at least complaint system. Um, so what is it that you want people to know sort of about that interaction? Was there things that you learned that perhaps surprised you or what was the level of accountability that you got from um, Island Health? Well, you know, making contact quite early on with the patient care quality office, um, you know, it, it did take some time. Uh, we were we were able to have a meeting. Um, you know, it was it was a good month and a half to two months before we had our meeting, um, and then we we were able to sit down. We had a lot of questions. Uh, I still feel that um, a lot of those questions uh, have been left unanswered, um, and I think what we really struggle with is just the you know the transparency and the accountability on on the end of the you know the the physicians in and then in connection with the directors and the health authorities it just seems like there's a lot of different independent operating systems and and it's like who's answering to who and who's accountable for making sure that certain things and certain judgment calls are made in inappropriate and what is the um, where's the learning in it you know we cannot change things we cannot bring our brother back but our whole motive in all of this is like how can we do better how can we all play a part in this how can we connect and support one another and I think that everybody has an opportunity to play a part in that and we're not here wanting to point fingers to say that you know it's oh it's on the health authority or oh it's on the psychiatrist or it's on the government it's everybody us all as individuals and you know so you know crystal and i had some thoughts around this and crystal i'll let you kind of um you know share you know what we're yeah i'm curious about your next steps because i mean i think it's it's awesome to to be able to to recognize what's happened and to point out but it's very empowering i think when i i've learned from you guys that you actually have some plans for next steps so what does that look like for you both well <clears throat> to direct all this energy that you know could otherwise be anger we decided to start uh, our own project called connect to protect society and our aim for this is to advocate for a more collaborative approach to mental health crisis care, you know, giving space for families to be involved, for them to collaborate with physicians and the patient, um, because it's not, it's not a one-sided information thing, and there's so much unspoken stuff that can happen with a person that physicians might not pick up on. Um, so we really want to call on the community and the medical professionals and the political members to work together um, to connect with our um, with our joint Efforts. knowledge and experience, lived experience, to help make it possible for there to be a more person-centered approach to mental health crisis care. I love it. 
I do. I love it. I think you guys know, and, and those that have been following my um, journey here as an MLA um, and the critic for mental health and addictions and recovery that I introduced a private member's bill uh, this in the springtime that actually calls for um, more collateral information for people who are brought in um, by police um, with, uh, you know, in a mental health crisis. So this sort of goes actually quite um, in hand in hand and, and I think it's time for us to have a look at ways of including family members. I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but is there a way for people to get in touch with you if they're interested or, or I mean, if you don't have anything set up yet, I'm also happy to have people contact us here and we can pass that information on um, to you. Because I know, you know, sometimes um, one voice alone uh, can, can be, um, daunting but you know we know that there's unfortunately hundreds of families and in fact when just in 2021 580 more than 580 families uh, and uh, friends and colleagues all affected by suicide in the province of British Columbia so we know that you know there are challenges and, and people who could have used probably more help in dealing with uh, the situation so in terms of um, advocacy so sorry, I should give you an opportunity. Do you have some time for people or some we, way? We do have a, a website that's about to go up soon. Um, it's www.connect2, the number, protect.ca. And through that, um, there will be a link to an email. Um, and it will also be able to be on social media. It okay, just that's awesome. Okay, and in the yeah. meantime, so if you're listening to this right now, you go to check out the website, it's not up, you're welcome to contact me at my office, and the email for that is eleanor.sterko.mla at ledge.bc.ca, and I will pass on your information to Cindy and Crystal. Um, you know, before we wrap up, I just, you know, is there anything that you really think is important for the public to know about... Um, James's journey and about the, the challenges that families face when trying to help a loved one navigate the mental health system. Don't give up. Keep pushing back. Don't, uh, don't take no for an answer. Question, question the people who are caring for your loved one and, and trust your gut. Know that you know that person and um, hopefully things will change but until then keep sharing your stories and looking out for each other. And I, and I think that, um, you know, we're not, you know, saying, oh, you know, well, you know, there's a lot of tired families who are exhausted and, and you know, we're here saying, oh, you know, contact family and connect with family. And, and you know, I and I am, you know, very mindful of the fact that this this is um, something that is is very challenging to help navigate um, to support you know, loved ones with, um, you know, mental health challenges. Um, but, you know, it's the simple things, it's the little things, it's the connections, it's knowing that you're not alone. If you need supports, there, there's, you know, talking to people, being open. I think the more that we can connect, get curious, be vulnerable, and be open about these things, the more we're going to break down the stigma and just know that hey we're all in this together and, and we're human any of us at any time any of us and i think you make a good point about um exhausted families mm -hmm. i think caring for someone you know we heard from you in our last um podcast about 
helping your brother since 2016 mm-hmm. to 2023. That's so many years, and, and there are a lot of families out there who have been supporting their loved one for years, and it can become tiring. Mm-hmm. And so as legislators, you know, and my commitment to um, the people that I serve is to make sure that we increase the amount of services make it easier for people to access those services um, and to make sure that they're effective. And I think with the scope of some of the problems that we're dealing with in our province, we know that we government can't do it alone, service providers cannot do it alone, and it's even more important for us to ensure that that wonderful resource, family members who are actually willing to step up to help their loved one, that we support you to help support mm-hmm. your loved one. So with that, I'm gonna thank you both again for being my guests. This is tremendous. You guys are both so awesome. I'm very inspired by um, Connect to Protect. I think that this, I'm really excited for the launch of your website. Looking forward to supporting and helping with that any way we can. You know I'm very open to collaboration with uh, my partners across the aisle in government, with the Greens, with anyone who's interested in making healthcare um, and mental health and addictions in particular, um, better services for British Columbians. I'm all about it. So thank you both for being my guests again today. Thank Thank you for having us. us. All right, that was Crystal Kenzie and Cindy Zimmer, two awesome sisters advocating for change in mental health care in BC after the death of their beloved brother, James. So thank you again for listening. Always happy to um, listen to what maybe your idea for a topic is. We'd love to hear you on Outside the Chamber. So send me an email at eleanor.sterko.mla at ledge.bc.ca. Until next time, take care.